the people agree to obey. Chapter 10. The document was ratified and sealed with the following names. Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah. The priests who signed were Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Malak, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshullam, Abijah, Mijamin, Meaziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The Levites who signed were Yeshua, son of Ezaniah, Binui, from the family of Henadad, Kadmiel, and their fellow Levites, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Pelita, Peliah, Haman, Micah, Rahab, Heshabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, and Benaini. The leaders who signed were Parosh, Pehath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bunim, Azgad, Bibai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashum, Bizai, Harith, Anathoth, Nebai, Megpayash, Meshalam, Hazir, Meshazabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Enaya, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hazub, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Heshabnoth, Heasiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Enan, Malak, Harim, and Beana. The rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to serve God, and who were old enough to understand, now all heartily bound themselves with an oath. They vowed to accept the curse of God if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, laws, and regulations of the Lord their Lord. The vow, of, the vow of the people. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, nor to let our sons marry their daughters. We further promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. And we promise not to do any work every seventh year and to cancel the debts owed to us by other Jews. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of an eighth of an ounce of silver so that there will be enough money to care for the temple of our God. This will provide for the bread of the presence for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, the new moon celebrations, and the annual festivals. 
for the holy offerings and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. It will also provide for other items necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times each year, the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God as required in the law. We promise always to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give to God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks, just as the law requires. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes, and a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. So we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Well, welcome, welcome. Uh, today we're going to be doing, uh, covering Nehemiah 9.38 through the end of chapter 10. Uh, by way of quick review, we find Nehemiah in this part of the story. Um, he's come through a lot of the journey of the book. He started working as the cupbearer to the Persian king, Artaxerxes. And after um, finding out that the city of Israel was in ruins, he appeared before the king in a state of despair. The king noticed, said, why are, you, why are you sad, Nehemiah? Nehemiah shared that his beloved city was destroyed and in ruins and asked the king for permission to go and help rebuild the city, for which the king gave him permission to do that, as well as sending him with resources to accomplish that task. Uh, along the way, the news of Nehemiah's return became known to the enemies of Israel. Particularly important with the, uh, to the story were Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian, who vowed to stop Nehemiah and the Jews from rebuilding the city. There's pressure and threats to ne Nehemiah's project from the outside, um, but God continually answers ne Israel's prayers to protect them and help them to rebuild and fortify the city. They rebuild the wall over a period of 52 days, and some of the Jews move back into the city to help establish community and infrastructure there. Then, as the nation starts to re-inhabit the land that was promised to them, um, the, in the previous chapters, Ezra, Ezra the priest reads the law, a genealogy is taken, leaders are appointed, and priests are removed from service. As Ezra reads the law, the nation of Israel realizes how far they have come from God's ordeal. 
ideal, and they weep when they realize what the law has said. But Ezra the priest commands them to make that day a day of celebration and a holy day, after which they'll have a day of, of weeping and mourning, which is called in scripture a solemn assembly. Um, this, during the solemn assembly, the people recall the history uh, through which God has led them, which to be quite frank, holds a significant need for repentance and confession. And we notice a pattern in Israel's history of um, being blessed by God, rebelling from God, finding affliction, and then God redeeming them, and then repeating that over and over. In chapter, the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, we find Nehemiah um, right after he's rebuilt the wall. There's a little bit of structure in place in the city, and we see the city itself coming back to, together to join up as a community. Nehemiah 9.38 begins with the phrase, because of all this, because of all this. Some versions actually translate that as in view of all of this. Or uh, maybe a more modern way to think about this is a phrase that says, in light of all of this. We know from modern homiletical methodology that when the preacher or the speaker says, in light of all of this, we're moving to a place of application, to look what we can do to put to life the scriptures that we've been reading. The verse goes on. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. My first point today is that their spiritual commitment was firm. Their spiritual commitment was firm. The Israelites were committed to a spiritual restoration. It wasn't something that they had just studied or paid a lot of word service to. Restoration was something that they were committed to moving forward in their lives. It's interesting to note that though Israel themselves knew they were God's chosen people and had a lot of knowledge about his character, up until now, they lacked commitment to God's causes. We can easily do that even today, even with the Bible in our hands, can't we? In that we, the things that we say about God, we love in the abstract, but when it comes down to making concrete application in our own lives, it's often much more difficult. Even at Bible teaching churches, we, can, we examine passages of scripture every single week and develop practical principles from the Bible. But oftentimes, I think it's easy to develop those practical principles without having that concrete life change. It's easy to be in a church for a long time and potentially never even be personally challenged to make specific concrete commitment to change as a result of what you've learned. The fact that the people here made specific commitments and put them down in writing and signed their names seems to me to be an indication that we need to do a better job of responding to God's words with specific, concrete commitments. A.W. Tozer was talking about scenarios like this when he said, no man is better for simply knowing God and that in the beginning he created the heaven and the earth. In fact, the devil knows that. So did Ahab and Judas Iscariot. No man is better for knowing God, 
so loved the world of men that he gave his only begotten son to die for their redemption. In hell, there's millions who know just that. What A.W. Tozer is saying is that we can know the truth about our sinfulness and our distance from God, but until we give up our lives, repent, and turn to Jesus, there will be no redemption. There's a couple folks in our congregation who regularly let me know they have firm commitments to the process of restoration within our church, that they want to live a life committed to God's purposes, and that seems to be the only responsible way to respond to all he has done for us. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. See, there's a truth that holds merit to the spiritual life as well as it holds truth to other areas of life. And that is, if you want to accomplish something significant, you're going to have to commit to it. All of the most important accomplish accomplishments in life involve significant commitment. You have to have commitment to develop as a student. You have to have commitment to train and eat well to become a successful athlete. You're in the trenches every single day when you're committed as a parent. To accomplish anything in this life, you have to be both firm in your commitment and intentional with the time you spend and what you do during your days. Those truths are just as applicable in our spiritual lives. In Matthew 20, Jesus illustrates this as he's having a, a banter between the mother of some of his disciples. It says in verse 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She replied to him saying, these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. See, what she's asking for Jesus to give them is spiritual significance, to empower their lives, to give them a role in eternity forever alongside of him, a place of trust and a place of authority. Jesus' answer in verse 22 is, you do not know what you are asking. He continues, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Christ's reply here is that there's a high price to be paid during a life spent with him, and there's a high price to be paid for spiritual leadership. They said to him, quote, we are able. See, they wanted the blessings of God and were to actually able to look Jesus in the face and tell him, we want to follow you despite whatever hardships may come. And like any blessings in life, God's blessings come with obligations. Whatever you want to accomplish in your life, you're going to have to focus on with commitment. The Proverbs speak to this in chapter 16, verse 3, where they say, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I find this principle to be true among churches as well. The Bible talks about sowing so that you can reap scattering that, so that you can gather. 
and focusing on things as a community so that those things will develop. But remember, coming together to focus on the right things is of utmost importance. We go on in verse 10. <clears throat> on the seals are the names of, and Nehemiah lists a few groups of people, Nehemiah the governor, the priests, the chiefs of the people. I'm summarizing verses 10 through 25. This text lists those few groups of people who were committed to the process of renewal. Nehemiah, those priests, those chiefs. And my second point is individuals must be committed to create corporate renewal. Individuals must be committed to create corporate renewal. The leaders of that day realized that they needed to step off the merry-go-round of life and temporal focus that surrounded them and take their commitment to God and his purposes very seriously. Amidst a turbulent time of relocation, social distancing, and questioning the future, they had to develop new leaders and decide if they were going to be blown around by this vortex of change surrounding them or to pick a course and commit to it. And it's powerful to me that once they did that, they actually named the individuals, took down those names, and put them on a document. See, corporate renewal doesn't happen without individual renewal. There had to be a renewal in the people of God and in their lives with God for there to be a lasting sense of change in the community. See, if, even if you could, were able to start the process of a spiritual change, if lives aren't changed and households aren't changed and methods of doing business around church aren't changed, that change is only going to be skin deep. In fact, one of the reasons Vital Church recommends resources on being a change agent, making peace, dealing with loss and grief is so that we can find ourselves transformed as individuals in order to have a transformed future together as a community. One of the most interesting things about this list of names, though, is that they appear to be just regular folks who have an outstanding commitment to an amazing God. It's worth mentioning that you don't have to have a resume worthy of a Fortune 500 company to be used by God. In fact, it seems that the kingdom of God is not primarily made up of superstars. Many, if not most, of the leaders that are recognized in the Bible, in fact, are not the ancient world equivalent of Ivy League graduates. And many of them are just normal people, kind of like you and I. Oswald Chambers, in his book, Ma Man's weakness, God's strength said, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance upon them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because of their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounce dependence on their natural abilities and resources. This group of people had promised 
to take up community obligations, to renounce their personal agendas in order to serve our great and glorious God. Verse 28, it goes on, it said, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons, no intermarriage, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the extraction of every debt. See, it's been said that genuine transformation requires distinction from the world, devotion to God's word, and dependence to God's work. Distinction from the world. Israel practiced this as they talk about separating themselves from the peoples of the land and not intermarrying with groups with religious differences to not be unequally yoked. Dependent upon God's work, they enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, to observe and do all of the commandments and to rely totally on God to provide for them as they sought to live a just and righteous life before him. And devoted to God's word in that they are publicly reading the book of the law and relying on that to guide their journey forward. See, their community before them had a challenge that's very similar to what we face today. They looked at scripture in an effort to understand the intent of the original writings and would make an effort on how to apply those ideas to their life today. To produce the same effect in the current setting as God intended to produce in his original revelation. Figuring out how to apply God's teaching in the contemporary world provides a significant challenge today. It takes seeking God with a sense of discernment and an earnest study of scripture to help understand how to bridge the significant cultural gaps. Yet we're called to do this even in the New Testament. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members as sin, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as your members to God as instruments for his righteousness. We're to seek out the places where God has put life in us through his word and through his work. We're to understand the principles of why God laid out rules and laws in the Old Testament and how they apply to our community and to our culture today. That previous list was some of the applications that the Jews had made. And William Barclay, a New Testament scholar, said this about being a New Testament believer. It is possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp follower without being a soldier to the king, 
to be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man, and he said, so-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly and saying, he may have attended some of my lectures, but he was not one of my students. There's a great world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It's a supreme handicap of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. In ending Barclay's quote there and kind of pitting those two ideas in the same conversation, what we're saying is, is that although Israel had had a lot of Bible knowledge in the past, they had neglected to take the meanings of those stories and the applications from the stories which they knew and turn them into steps for discipleship and into rules for life. My third point today is that giving is a part of God's blessing. Giving is a part of God's blessing. We go on in verse 32. We also take upon ourselves obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering, to bring it into the house of our God, according Father's houses, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruit of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks. Kind of an interesting aside, it's, it's kind of curious that this community would actually cast lots to bring the wood offering. One interpretation as to why they did that was so that people of prominence wouldn't get out of tasks that could have been assigned to anybody. It was a way of making the whole community a part of the brotherhood and open to being tasked with any of the religious duties that anyone in the community could have had. As you, it's interesting too to notice that in the New Testament, some of our churches actually today do annual pledges. Looking back at our scripture, we can clearly see that we didn't make that up, that that was something that was, that's been done for a long time. Well, see, one of the ways that Israel started to deal with their own heart was through giving and through sacrifice. Specifically through taking material things and giving them away in a way to keep our hearts from becoming attached to them and by freeing up our hearts to attach to God and his promises alone. See, giving is actually a virtue. And some would argue with us and say that giving is both an er a virtue and uh, an act that we do to develop virtue. We'll leave that discussion for another day. But being made in the image of God, one thing we wouldn't argue 
is the fact we're all meant to give. Yet, we live in a culture that perpetuates a self-indulgent life that's quite frankly beneath the holy purposes for which God created us. In Malachi 3, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storeroom, that they may, there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God is saying, I dare you. I dare you to try to outgive me. See, Jesus, in his example to us, lived for others. He was sent for others. And one of the biggest things about the Christmas lesson is that giving has value in and of itself. There doesn't have to be a reason to give. Giving is a reason unto itself. Jesus makes reference to this glorious kind of giving when he talks about how we're to give our lives to him. In Matthew 16, 25, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. See, the Jews in that day lived in a, a time of uncertain economic future and great personal need. They were resettling a land where they didn't have crops and they weren't established. There'd be a temptation to want to not give to the rebuilding of God's house, but to store up for themselves for the uncertain future. These people, though, did not, did not fall into that kind of self-centered thinking. They committed themselves to a sacrificial lifestyle. Jesus would even broaden the thinking on that in the New Testament when he would say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is giving. And like today, like in ancient times, personal stewardship continues to be an incredibly reliable index of someone's commitment to the Lord and his work. Let me ask us today, church, does that kind of attitude permeate our Christian culture? Are we known more for our giving or more for what we desire and what we covet? I read a statistic a while back that America spends more monies on dog food than we do on foreign missions. Could the same be said on cable TV or coffee? Or wait, 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 pastor, that's too close to home. Pastor, it's a good thing we're doing virtual church today because I might let you know what I think about that one. See, the God we follow is the ultimate example of sacrifice. See, in our relationship with him, we have really nothing that he needs. The reality is that he created the universe, imagined the concept of time and space, and spoke them into existence. He numbered the hairs on your head and the days of your life. He bled and died for your sins despite your rebellion. And he challenges you to be like him and look for ways that you can give of yourself. Because of all of this, because of all that he's done for us, the example that he lays out before us, and even the process he lays out in scripture, 
how are we, how are we to respond to this? It's interesting to note that one of the commentaries about the book of Nehemiah was actually titled Ordinary Heroes. Ordinary Heroes. I think there's a number of ordinary heroes amongst our community today. Here's a couple of things that I know those ordinary heroes may recognize. One is that repentance and giving were part of restoration. Repentance and giving were part of restoration. As Nehemiah recalled the history of Israel, there was over and over again times where Israel got what <laughs> the Bible calls as stiff in the neck, means they couldn't be guided or changed from the direction they were heading. They were stubborn. And that would land them into places where they needed to call upon God because they'd run their life or their community or their nation figuratively into a ditch. E.M. Bounds says this about getting out of a ditch and coming to a place of revival. He said, to look back upon the progress of the divine kingdom upon earth is to review revival periods which have come like refreshing showers upon dry and thirsty ground, making the desert to blossom as the rose and bringing new eras of spiritual life and activity just when the church had fallen under the influence and apathy of the times. Another thing we can do is be thankful on behalf of spiritually committed people, to be thankful for our spiritually committed people. Something I'm going to challenge you with this week is to write down a list of people who are committed to God's work and to pray for that list of people this week. Just as we see in the book of Nehemiah, there's a list of names and a list of activities and tasks to be done. In our community and in our, in our nation and abroad over the world, we know people that are committed to seeing God's name proclaimed in glory. And I think it's all too easy to miss recognizing and praying for them. A third thing we can do in, because of all this is to get committed ourselves, to get committed ourselves. Our community has made great strides to recommit this church and its ministries to, a, to God. We even had a series of summits to align what he has revealed to us with our vision for the future. I would challenge you to commit to the next steps of what this community is walking through. If you're feeling well enough, join us in a small group. If it's a health issue, don't join us just yet. Commit to praying with us as we've come out with, of Summit 3 with a list of strategic initiatives, a people flow process, and we have a pastoral search team that's committed to creating a profile, sp spreading that profile across search platforms, interviewing and ultimately hiring a candidate. You can pray for that. I would commit to you, if you can't be in fellowship, look to practice spiritual disciplines such as prayer, silence, fasting. Rick Warren said this, he said, God is looking for people to use, and if you can get usable, he will wear you out. The most dangerous prayer that you could ever pray is, use me. So I commit to you today, there's, there's been a lot of 
work done in our community to ready ourselves for what God has for us in the future. He's brought us to a place of refocusing. He's restructured a number of, of our ministries. He's provided us training in the areas of Sunday school, um, provided resources for us as we go into a pastoral search. Please pray for these things and be ready because God has a plan in this next chapter to use you. Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for what you've done here in our community, what you're doing in our world. Lord, we lift up to you all the challenges that have been brought to our community and to our world through coronavirus. Lord, there's many people suffering through, through sickness, through a sense of fear of being going out, through the economic decay that's affecting everybody, whether or not they have this disease. Father, we ask that your hand would show strong through this, that in, that in periods of uncertainty, we know in times past, people have reached out to you and, and sought for you for, for a sense of stability and a sense of hope. Lord, we pray that people would be doing that even right now. And Lord, we also pray that our church would seek ways to provide comfort and encouragement throughout this challenging time. Lord, we pray for the process of restoration, that it would continue in our community, that thy will would be done, and that we would find the perfect pastor that you've set aside for us. In your precious name, Jesus. Oh